Welcome to the Living Epistle Podcast, the place where you will find biblical principles to help you live out your faith on a daily basis and to have a positive impact on the lives of others. So get ready for another powerful episode of Living Epistle Podcast. Hello, my name is Tony Miles, and welcome to this week's episode of Living Epistle Podcast. This week's uh, podcast is a topic that I had spoken on not even a year ago, but the events of this past week have caused me or prompted me to revisit this this issue um, in this week's podcast. And this past week, as many of you know, as pretty much all of you know, if we've listened to the news or heard any radio reports or been on our computers, that our nation experienced another um, school mass shooting this week, this time in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, at the Covenant School, which is a private Christian school. Six people were killed. Three were nine-year-olds and three were adults, and they were fatally wounded um, by the shooter. And so this comes less than a year after the incidents in Buffalo and Uvalde and Tulsa. And so, again, now, as we have heard and we've been hearing all this week, the politicians, our president, everybody's in the news and everybody's talking about uh, passing additional gun control laws like that's going to be the panacea or the cure all for the violence that is plaguing our nation. And let me be clear, I want to pause here just for a moment and say I am not opposed to gun control legislation that makes sense. But let's make no mistake about it. No amount of gun control, no amount of gun control will be the magic bullet, pun intended, right, for ending all the gun violence that's occurring in our cities and occurring in our nation. What do I mean? Well, As an example, again, let's take a look at two cities that have some of the strictest gun control laws in our nation. According to the 2020 FBI Uniform Crime Reporting data, Chicago ranked ninth in the nation from a percentage standpoint and Washington, D.C. ranked 10th. And bear in mind, though, that these two cities, Chicago and Washington, D.C., have some of the strictest gun control laws that there are. Right. And so. Um, But the thing about Chicago, Chicago ranked um, ninth, even though according to percentages, right, according to percentages. But that's because of the sheer size of the population in terms of raw numbers. Chicago has a high, high, high number of murders. And the city often records the highest absolute total killings in the nation each year. And again, this is Chicago. Right. And so, in fact, um, the number of people murdered in Chicago <clears throat> on any given weekend, and you, you all have heard me say this before, the number of people murdered in Chicago on any given weekend, any given weekend, exceeds the total number of people killed in the mass shootings that occurred in Buffalo or Uvalde or Tulsa and now even Nashville. <clears throat> and so you may be saying, well, what's my point? My point is simply this, is that um, we currently have strict gun laws on the books And yet gun related crimes still occur every day. And as I mentioned, no amount of gun legislation will stop our criminal justice system from releasing felons back into society. We've got the no bail laws. We've got uh, a whole bunch of things going on in our in our court systems that are putting repeat 
felons back out on the streets. And so, again, no amount of gun legislation will treat people with mental illness. And I know it's something that we don't want to talk about as a society, but several of these incidents and several of these incidents, the perpetrators have been people who've been diagnosed with mental illnesses. And even this most recent one in Nashville, it's been reported that this 28 year old Nashville shooter um, is a person that was, quote, under care uh, for an emotional disorder, end quote. And so, again, no amount of gun control, no amount of gun legislation can stop what goes on in somebody's heart or what goes on in somebody's head. And so gun legislation won't stop killing or hating because hating others because of their race or because of their religion or because of their sex or their ethnicity or their sexual orientation or you name it, you name it, you name it. And even in this case in Nashville, we really don't know what the motive is because it's been reported that this particular individual had attended that school, but it goes K through sixth. And this individual is 28 years old. So again, I'm not sure what the connection is. And again, we still don't know the motive. Here it is from a practical standpoint, though. Again, there are certainly things we can do to make our schools and our children safe and for our children to be safe in schools. Um, I'll repeat some of these. For example, we can have a single point of entry in our schools. Right. And of course, there would be multiple exits. That, let's make that clear. But here's the other thing in this you in this uh, Nashville incident, the shooter came in through a side door that was glass. And so we can make all the side the side exits, you know, um, metal. Just again, like at a movie theater where you have one point of entry, but you have multiple points of exit. So if the kids need to get out or the uh, teachers or staff need to get out in in an emergency, you have multiple exits. Again, and I think the movie theater is a great example of that. One single point of entry where you have security and control, but you have multiple uh, multiple points of exits. Right. And so then each provided school with a resource officer that could be a police officer. It could be somebody who is a retired former military or retired police officer, whatever it is. But there are ways that we can find monies in our budgets to provide this protection. One of the challenges that the the reason why these shooters go to places like malls and schools is because they know, come on, family, that they're easy targets. There will be no resistance. You don't find them going to a police station or 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 um, or fire stations or any place where they think there may be some place where they can meet resistance. But they always go to places where they um, can have easy targets and find the most vulnerable people. And so when it comes to mental health, right, when it comes to mental health, let's make more resources available to diagnose and treat people with mental health issues. Right. So. Something happened between the 60s and probably the 80s and 90s where most of our mental health facilities have been shut down. Many, many, many of them have been shut down. And what we see as a result of that is many of these people with mental health issues are on the streets. Right. There many of them are on the street. Many of our homeless population um, are people who have um, corresponding uh, mental health issues. And so in the faith community and particularly in the black community, we tend to ignore and we try to, quote, 
pray away, end quote, real mental health issues. Now, listen, y'all know I love God, love to pray. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to talk about it here a little bit later on in the podcast. But there are also some real issues, just like God uses medical doctors to diagnose and treat people with physical ailments and physical illnesses and physical diseases. God can also use psychological um, professionals, whether they're psychiatrists who are medical doctors or psychologists who are people who are trained, right, in the study of um, of the mental health illnesses and diseases. And there's nothing wrong with Christians or anyone seeking professional help when it's necessary, whether it's for physical ailments or psychological or mental or emotional ailments. It's there's nothing wrong with that. And as a matter of fact, it's so ironic this week, this past week, I spoke to two people. One was a former senior pastor The other one was a former youth pastor, and both of them tell me that they routinely go and talk to their therapists about mental health issues routinely. And as a matter of fact, the youth pastor told me this particular individual said, I recommend everybody talk to a therapist because everybody has issues and everybody needs to talk to somebody. The point is, is let's try to help remove the stigma and the shame. Right. And so with regard to mental health issues, there needs to be something in place where if someone is diagnosed as that has a potential threat to himself or herself or to others, that the authorities, the proper authorities can be alerted about this potential threat. Right. And so case in point, again, is this 28 year old shooter, this 28 year old shooter, their parents has been reported. And I again, I can't say this firsthand, but it's been reported that their parents said, quote, that their child should not have owned any weapons, end quote. Now, when you have that knowledge and you have that information and you don't do anything with it, something's wrong, especially we know our family. We know our loved ones better than anybody. And if we see warning signs, it is incumbent upon us, all of us, to be more aware of what's going on around, certainly within our homes, certainly within within our loved ones' lives, but in particular, even in our neighborhoods and in, in our communities, in our schools, on our jobs, wherever we may go. You know, one of the things that happened as a result of 9-11, right, um, is that the phrase came became very popular, if you see something, say something. And again, I cannot stress that enough. Let's not be afraid to get involved if we see something. If we suspect something, if we have a reasonable, um, um, a reasonable inclination to suspect something, let's say something, family. Let's not be um, so it's their business, this and that, and standoffish that we are afraid to get involved. And I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination, please hear my heart, family. I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination that we put ourselves in harm's way. But I am saying that if we see something that doesn't look right or doesn't feel quite right, Right. Or if somebody's been doing something or saying something or writing something or acting a certain way, let's make sure that we are not afraid to let the proper authorities know at least what's going on so that we can put it out there so that we can at least say that we've done our part. And again, we have a duty and an obligation and a responsibility to be our brother's keeper. We really do our brothers and our sisters keepers. And so Here's the thing about all these mass shootings, the ones that I've just mentioned, the ones in Uvalde, the one in um, Buffalo, the one in Tulsa, and now the one in Nashville. 
family, the guns were all legally purchased. So it's not even like even if you put in a waiting period, a three day waiting period, that would not have stopped what happened in Nashville this week because this person bought seven guns over the course of I want to say it was like two or three years. They bought seven guns over the course of a span of time. And so anyway, the uh, the long story short is. The breakdown occurs when there's no follow up on the warning signs. There's just that's that's when the breakdown occurs. And again, for this particular family, and I'm not blaming the because we could we could go back to the Buffalo situation, the Uvalde situation, the Tulsa situation. And we can even now look at the Nashville situation. We can say there were warning signs. There were warning signs. And what I'll say to that is at the end of the day, um, at the end of the day, it is our responsibility to at least act as best we can to try to try to help avert this, to try to help avert what's going on. Because at the end of the day, when we see evil on full display, like we have even this past week again, we know that it is truly a spiritual battle that is going on. We, we know this because Judges 21 and 25 reminds us in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone doing what was right in their own eyes signifies a highly individualistic, a highly self-centered um, social reality. And that's what the world we live in today. So it's not um, simply that the people it's quite simply that the people were only interested in themselves and their basis for morality. The right and wrong was centered on their own wills and their own desires. And again, we cannot be so self-centered that we don't take the time to see what's going on with our brothers and our sisters. Right. To see when we see that they need help and they're crying out for help, that we do something. And so I, I, I truly just want to say for us that. Um, as a body of believers, let's not get caught up in the mob mentality. Again, I want to encourage us as a body of Christ to not follow the crowd. Let's just not blindly go along with what the politicians are saying or what the media is saying because it it sounds great and it sounds good because, and I get it, we want to do something. But here's what I would say instead. Let's earnestly seek the Lord for what actions we should take to help us stem the tide of violence that's plaguing our nation. Let's give some careful consideration and some thought to what needs to happen to, to make real and meaningful change and not just do things for the sake of doing things, just to feel good about doing stuff. And may we as believers have the courage to stand up and be instruments of hope and change um, in our society and be instruments in our master's hand. And, you know, this, again, is just a, a great time and a call, I believe, for the body of Christ to rally together and I can't help but think about um, the what King Jehoshaphat um, did in Second Chronicles chapter twenty when his kingdom was under attack. Jehoshaphat sought the help of the Lord to stand against the onslaught of the enemy. And make no mistake about it, family, the enemy is attacking our kids. He's attacking our society. He's attacking our families. He's attacking all of the institutions, right, that we have held dear. And so what Jehoshaphat did when he saw the enemy, he heard the reports of the enemy. He prayed and he prayed, he prayed, he prayed, and he prayed. And family prayer will absolutely um, play a pivotal role in the solutions to our problems. And we know this, right? And so he not only prayed, but he called the people of the nation to pray. And we know this very popular scripture, Second Chronicles 7 and 14. If my people who are called by my name 
will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Our land is in need of healing, family. Our land is in need of healing. And so when he prayed, when Jehoshaphat prayed, then he was expecting God to answer. He was expecting God to do something. When God spoke, he acted. So he didn't just pray and pray and pray, but God gave him instructions. And then he didn't act in his own strength. He waited to hear what the Lord would have to say. And that's what I would say to us, that we cannot follow the mob mentality. We cannot follow what's going on in the media and in the news. Let's ask God, God, what would you have us to do? Let's be discerning about where we will hook our wagons up to and what acts and moves and what groups and people and what actions we will do and take because we want to hear from the Lord because when we know that the Lord moves, then we know that it's going to truly be taken care of. And so Jehoshaphat did what God told him to do. He implemented God's plan. And then when he did that, wow, man, God stepped in and did some great things. And so I believe now is the great time for us as a body of believers to be active within our church, but not only in the church, outside of the church. What can we do politically? What can we do socially? What can we do in our neighborhoods from a community standpoint and our civic organizations so that we can we can just really, really be an impact and a force? And so we're going to pray to our God because we know that God, there's nothing too hard for God. God can do anything, but God is looking for us, his body of believers to be his hands and his instruments, his feet, his ears, his eyes, his hands in the earth to make a real change and to make a real difference. In the meantime, let's pray that God will move on the hearts of the mental illnesses and the emotional and psychological illnesses of the people. Let's pray that God will move um, so that we as a body of believers, man, can be difference makers in whatever sphere we serve in and whatever sphere we operate in, because it's time for us to be difference makers and take an act and take a stand. But let's not follow the crowd. That's all I'm saying, family. Let's not follow the crowd, but let's seek God and then move as God gives us the wisdom, the strength, and the strategies to do. Remember, family, preach the gospel at all times. And when necessary, use words. This is Tony Miles. Thanks for listening. Now go and be a living epistle. Join us again next week for another episode of Living Epistle Podcast. Music for Living Epistle Podcast is provided by audionautics.com.